Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade film movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm William the Jet Johnson. Ooh, you're going to start snapping fingers on the mics here? Though I don't think I should be a Jet after watching the movie. (laughs) You know, it would be problematic to be a Jet. But you know what? We're also not of the, you know, ethnic inclination to be a shark either. So we're just two white guys reviewing movies. And who's never seen those things done before? Yeah, that's innovative. Yeah. Hey, white males unite. Folks, including all the people who are not white males, we're damn glad to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is all for tantrum's sake. We're shared passions and high fives. Wash away any place for hate in the end. We encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we're talking about uh, an Oscar contender. It's Steven Spielberg's West Side Story remake, recommended by anybody over the age of 50. No, it's really a movie for everybody. And uh, Will, Will Johnson comes into this, calling this a top five Spielberg film. I'm equally high on it, but I can't call it top five all the time. Spielberg, there's a lot of stuff there. Our yeah. format is this. The recommending lover goes first. That's going to be Will. He's going to get five uninterrupted minutes to shower his praise and state his high-minded case for top five dumb. The hater, which is not really hate, come on, but he's going to follow, and that's going to be me, with five uninterrupted minutes of my own to present my counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. The only thing I want to heat up is how good the movie is. After that, we'll open it up to about 15 or 20 minutes of shared discussion where the hissy fit really gets chippy, or in this case, rhythmic and dancey. Let's go, folks. Hey. I know, right? Right? Edit this shit, Mitch, huh? Yeah. You don't like that sound, Mitch? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Are we pinging your levels, huh? No. Officer right. Proctor! Da, 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 da. Oh, sorry. Uh, um, <laughs> that uh, actually would be a great remake for our show is if we did the Officer Proctor. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> Mitch, if you haven't seen the movie, shame on you, but we're making great cop jokes about you. Exactly. All right. Yeah, so. for those of you who've never listened to a show of ours before, Mitch is the boss in the shop, the producer extraordinaire who edits and takes care of the show and hosts the Ruminations Radio Network uh, feed that we get to participate on and do dumb shit like this. <laughs> All right, and can I can I proceed with my five minutes? Sir? You may proceed with your five minutes. Okay. All right, now we're coming to the end of the year when we're recording this. It's the 27th. It's always very hard to, at least for me, uh, to always put together like a top 10 list or like a greatest films of all time for certain directors or whatever. Like you like to say leader in the clubhouse kind of thing, because uh, unless the director is dead, um, you know, it, it is always in flux. You know, it's always something that is is going to be constantly going until that person passes and you have their full filmography in front of you. Plus, uh, until recently, I haven't been a completist with films. And uh, this year, uh, and, and especially next year, my goal is to um, complete a lot of filmographies I haven't finished. But one thing I set out to do this year was to kind of fill in all the gaps of my Spielberg. So West Side Story happens to come out at a time when I am visiting all the Spielbergs I haven't seen, which were actually quite a few. But that's not that's not bad because... He is a prolific director. He's, uh, if you count the three television films he did and the one segment of Twilight Zone, the movie, he's got 37 full films. Okay. So at this point, as of this recording, I've seen 30. So is it a complete list when I say that West Side Story is a top five Spielberg film? Who knows? I haven't seen Amistad yet. I haven't seen the Twilight Zone movie yet. I haven't seen his two TV movies uh, other than Duel. I haven't seen the other ones he's done. Uh, and and the big the big one I haven't seen is Empire of the Sun, which everyone tells me is one of his best. So is it possible that West Side Story could be beat out by it? Of course. And and one thing Don and I have always talked about is you've got the concept of you know best versus what what is what do you call it best versus uh, great or I can't remember I, I do best it. versus favorite best versus favorite. So when I say top five Spielberg for me, um, I looked at his list of films. And I looked at my visual reaction that I was having. Because when I watched West Side Story, I had a smile, even though it's very sad and depressing at times, I had a smile on my face the entire time. And for the first time since probably maybe Endgame or Lord of the Rings, like I literally was like making weird sounds out of my nose. I was crying so aggressively like (laughs) at the end of this movie. Now, to me, emotional impact is very important in what I consider a favorite. Now, when we're talking about best, 
and we're talking about legacy and we're talking about cinematic legacy and things like that and, and importance to the film industry, you know, you can't supplant Jaws and, um, you know, some of his other films, Close Encounters and E.T. You can't supplant those in terms of relevance. But I'm looking at, like you said, favorites. Now, my immediate reaction getting out of West Side Story was this is a top five Spielberg for me. Now, a friend of the pod, Aaron White, challenged me and said, well, prove it. What are the other ones you looked at? So I looked at his films and I, and I, I, I found four films that I could either equally love but in terms of enjoyment and emotional impact or are better, in my opinion, in terms of something I would prefer to go with. It was Jurassic Park, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Catch Me If You Can and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I could feasibly put those four up. Like if someone said, do you want to watch West Side Story or one of those four? I would pick the other four. Anything else, though? I don't know. Um, it, it, that would be tough for me. Um, I would be like, hey, do you want to watch The Color Purple, War Horse, or, you know, <laughs> Bridge of Spies or West Side Story? I'm picking West Side Story every time. You want to watch Lincoln? I'm going to pick West Side Story every time. There is such, this is what's bizarre about the film. This is what probably won me over is, and I haven't seen the original film in its entirety. I have nothing against musicals in general. And I love, I love, um, I was almost going to say Ray Wise, who's an actor, not the director. Uh, the director's name is slipping me first for a minute. He directed um, uh, Sound of Music and Star Trek, the motion picture. You got but, Robert Wise on this. Robert one. Wise. Sorry. Yes, sir. So I haven't seen it in full. I would always like to do that. But so. A, I was coming in kind of relatively new. I knew the Sondheim songs. I think I've seen the play. I never saw the movie, but I was relatively new to it, so I didn't have any burden of prior stuff. Um, I was expecting it to be like ho-hum another remake, and I have been going through a lot of Spielberg, which me and Don both kind of agree. He hasn't been – it's been a long time since he has been relevant, energetic, innovative – and I've only got about 15 seconds. So my point is, is that going into this, I guess, maybe because I had zero expectations, this movie feels energetic. It feels alive. It feels colorful, vibrant. It feels innovative. Like, I feel like Spielberg is actually doing something with the camera and doing something with the storytelling that gets you moving. And like I said, this is something I wish I saw with my mom. It was a fantastic film from beginning to end. Nicely done, sir. No, I, I I, cannot commit this as the hater, but I guess I have to be the guy that's, that's a shameless. This is a four-star instead of a five-star movie. I can't call it top five Spielberg. I was just thinking about, you know, what you talked about today about listing and things like that. And I, I cloned a Spielberg ranked list on Letterboxd because, you you know, why go farm out 31 movies when someone's done it for me and I can just rearrange the order. See, it, I do have that that challenge of favorite versus best like if i'm picking a like a personal favorite it's et it's 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 the uh, last crusade those are the ones i like personally love the most but steven spielberg is also kind of why i made the rule of favorite versus best because the number one best thing to me he's ever touched or done is schindler's list and that is just too serious and too perfect and too good about of a film in that kind of way where I'll never watch it again. Like I'm never going to be like, Hey guys, Friday night, let's watch Schindler's list. It's just not a movie that's going to be like that, but a movie I completely genuflect to and go, damn, that's the best thing you've ever done. And probably the best thing you'll ever be. You'll ever do leader in the clubhouse. But no, I, um, I was screwing around with the list today. I have West Side story at nine, nothing wrong with being in the top 10. Uh, because I think all of those things that you're talking about, when you talk about, uh, craft and what he's able to do in terms of making this different than the first one is something that really impresses me because I, I like that meme. It's always like a Lisa Simpson meme when she's up on stage on the microphone. Like, why don't we ever remake bad movies instead of remake good movies and movies that need improvement? And as soon as I heard Spielberg was taking on West Sester, I'm like, why? You are you are at the age where you can do something innovative. You are Steven Spielberg. That movie does not need your help. It won Best Picture. It won 10 Oscars, including Best Picture. If there was ever, just on paper, a movie that did not need a remake, even with 60 years passing, for that meme-worthy kind of you know treatment, it was this one because that's a cherished movie. Other than its dated problems of you know racial casting and a little bit here and a little bit there, where hey, it's nineteen you know sixty two things aren't sixty one things aren't always perfect. But and here we are with Spielberg making a musical and even some of the problematic things of trying to make that today. Then I saw the movie 
And I was like, wow, because like you're saying, and we'll talk about it when we get to our back and forth, here he is taking a familiar musical, not changing a beat of the songs, but doing new camera angles, doing new settings, doing new choreography in many cases. And obviously with the improved casting of unknowns that you don't associate with these roles in any kind of way, or you're not jaded and clouded by, wait a second, are they really supposed to be this? Are they really supposed to be that? The movie absolutely just shines because it is on the charts for me in terms of all the stuff I've seen because we're in Oscar season here. Easily one of the best crafted movies I've seen this year. It's between this and Tragedy Macbeth for me, where I'm sitting here going cinematography, production design, editing, costumes, and I'm like, damn, this thing has every, not not a speck of it is out of place. And not a speck of it is not well thought out in terms of what it can do to exude what this movie is and make you feel like you're there on an almost endless idea of a stage. Because this is most of it is, if I remember correctly, reading some of the homework on the review here that I wrote, a ton of this is shot indoors, which is amazing to me because of the lighting and the skies that he's able to achieve and the towering size of some of these streets and sets where there's some obviously some Brooklyn and some New Jersey exteriors that are borrowed here. But the whole movie, I mean, the majority of the movie is shot on a stage inside. And it still doesn't feel like just an overgrown play it just feels the depth of it it feels amazing and by having such a great casting of talented talented people this the music is not lost and the performance aspect of a musical is not lost because it's just he nailed it yeah and and this is spielberg's first musical he's out there trying something new and kind of like we say with kevin feige i got to a point where lesson number one on every movie has a lesson.com for my review is never doubt steven spielberg because I feel like, especially when I go back to this list of what we're talking about for top fives and top tens and top thirties, I feel like he's been very pedestrian as a filmmaker for the last 15 years where he has not really challenged himself. He's made movies very much in his comfort level. Some are easy and good. Never, none of them are pure bad. BFG is close, but none of them are downright lemons. Ready Player One. <clears throat> yeah, I know, I know. I don't mind Ready Player One because I feel like that's a movie you, you can't make on the big screen without taking some liberties and of course doing what you can with what licenses you have you just can't you're not going to get all the rights to that movie but uh in terms of making a fun challenging time he's got that but seriously though he's been very pedestrian where i don't think i think the last time he truly challenged himself in terms of form and story was munich and that's 05 so for him to come in here 15 years later do his first musical to still put the edge and the tautness to it and still have messages about it and to put all the craft he did into it and and entertain the pants out of it and also to put it on imax level you know production value with with in terms of screen size and the way you can see this on the big screen man is it good and in a year of musicals i'm sure it's going to get lost within the heights and tick tick boom and all that and we can talk about ants and elgord and whatever problems are come with that sort of thing but i'm with will for my money this is a very very solid and unexpected success for steven spielberg Nice. All right. Let me get a quick little break here for a second. Please enjoy a short announcement from the Ruminations Radio Network. The year is 2043. You're playing fantasy football. It is championship week. You're trying to set your lineup and you don't know what to do. Robert Griffin IV and his top target, Will Fuller VI, have carried you all season but they're facing a London Jaguars team that has the top defense in the league. Your other quarterback is a 66-year-old Tom Brady who's playing against the much more manageable Toronto Bengals. So you turn to Nick and Elijah of the 25 Yards Later podcast, a production of Sports Obsessive and Ruminations Radio Network. Be a champion. A champion. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right, folks, welcome back. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know it's me and the hater slot, but putting it top 10 and not top five is 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 no no slight for me, you know? Yeah. Well, and the other thing was not only is there's there was kind of three things that kind of hit me a little bit. Okay. And, and forgive my ignorance a little bit of maybe some of these people's filmographies, but at least in terms of their Spielberg output. Okay. Um, I, I think there's challenges on every front here because not only is Spielberg doing his first musical – at 75 years old, 
Um, and that's a completely different genre for him. And he's had elements. Like if you've seen Temple of Doom, mm-hmm. you know that he can do a musical part. You know, because sure. he's that opening of Temple of Doom. I mean, there's parts of 1941 that have a lot of kind of wacky Mad, Mad, Mad World musical elements to it. You know, plus that old kind of uh, throwback style of wacky mm-hmm. time travel stuff. Not time travel, but you know what I mean. But um, also, I was looking at... So the cinematography is gorgeous. It's my, my oh. favorite looking film of the year. Janice yeah. Kaminsky. And if you look at the, the prior films he's done mm-hmm. with with uh, uh, Spielberg, I mean, he's won Academy Awards for Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan. I mean, mm-hmm. those all seem like very, um, you know, uh, epic... You know, yeah. I mean, he's, he's done a lot of, I mean, he did Jurassic Park, Lost World and 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 stuff, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, things like that, War of the Worlds. But this seems like a stretch for him because he's got to take maybe some of that more edgier kind of look and make it sure. something that's still a musical, but still, but there's still kind of a, I don't want to say a sinister aspect to this, but there is still an element of danger in this film. Yeah. But it also is a musical, so it has to have some of that musical brightness but also i think um tony kushner the writer you know mm-hmm. uh, he had wrote munich um yes he did and he had, and he had done uh, i think lincoln, lincoln as well yeah he did lincoln so and uh you know both of those films are very um not dark but you know they're just serious moody yeah. and serious so to see him kind of write this obviously he had some help mm-hmm. you know with with the play but I, I think it was a stretch for almost everybody from behind the camera, writing it, everything to really play around with tone differently Mm -hmm. than they have in the past. No, I'm with you. And I like your word of brightness where you go back to that Kaminsky list in terms of cinematography. A lot of the stuff he does gets very muted and blued and a lot of lens flares because that's kind of the edge of the action he's going for. Like Lost World, Jurassic Park, a ton of it takes place at night. Saving Private Ryan, the, the stories of that movie being legendary for like scuffing lenses to make things look glossy and, and, and dirty and stuff like that it, to just to make it look scarred as much as the story is and of course doing black and white and schindler's list and doing you know war of the worlds and some of these more science fiction very blued very shiny movies to do something this vibrant like oh my goodness the street scene of the america dance where all these ladies and and men are out there in their costumes and in the bright sun going down the street like wow you know i it's the first bright movie i've seen from janus in in a long time and man it shows but at the same time you're right that foreboding sense with the shadow work is impressive not just in the places that seem like you can throw a shadow in just to put some shade in the characters but just to make the thing look more imposing in terms of a danger level and this is something where I think we, I, I talked about this on my review, a completely different kind of related thing, but like uh, last night in Soho with uh, Edgar Wright, the idea is like, what would it, what would, a, what would a horror movie be like edited by, you know, created or edited by somebody who's not known for making a horror movie? Like what would their yeah. skill set be like in a different genre? Where sure. for me, last night in Soho is Edgar Wright making a borderline horror movie, you know, not hardcore horror, but enough, you know, to be like, like, wow, what would his, you know what would his speed and tempo look like from a horror aspect where sometimes you gotta slow down and 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 make a point last and linger a little bit and then edgar wright shows off and he can do it this is spielberg where to me he's taking his action chops where he is a master camera person placement framer and editor and then he brings that to something that moves this fast like a musical like that Mm -hmm. gym dance scene it'd be very easy for him to ultra cut that or to take super duper close-ups where you don't have to show off a lot of the, the choreography but he's showing entire selections of people fitting in the frame perfectly choreographed perfectly timed perfectly edited to be crisp music matches and everything where it's just yeah you take his expert chops for action and motion and apply it to a musical and it blows their minds yeah i mean the 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 literally the first shot of the movie is when I knew I was going to love this because it's, it's that long take going through, I'm sure there's some hidden cuts in there, whatever, who Mm -hmm. knows, but you know, uh, going through the, all the buildings that have been torn down the wrecking balls and everything. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like I felt like I was watching a Spielberg film again. Like I I think one of the things that has plagued him, Mm -hmm. you know, of late is that I think he's, whether i mean he's got all the accolades he could possibly get he's oh, probably yeah. 
he's probably the most successful director, but I think this happens to everybody. This happens to, and I'm a big horror guy. This happens to John Carpenter and Wes Craven and all these guys. Like somebody says something about them and then they always feel like they've got to do something different. And I, and, and it, you know, Spielberg has for the last, I mean, maybe since, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just watched AI for the first time and that mm-hmm. was pretty innovative and different, but yeah. maybe since, since around then catch me if you can minority report. Yeah. Munich 05. That was like, that was the spot I put, you know? Well, no, I, I think Munich is a great film, but I think he is intentionally like going out of his comfort zone to tell stories in different ways to show that he's not the, Spielberg Spielberg that we all mm. know him from because you know when you think of top 10 lists I mean the ones I listed are the top five right. for me I mean obviously Catch Me If You Can is 2002 but the rest are all his classics so you know the mm-hmm. whole Indiana Jones films and Jurassic Park and stuff like that and and I think like with the terminal he's trying to make a romantic comedy he made a couple yeah. animated films like Lincoln is like a is an interesting film, but it's not a, like, doesn't feel like a Spielberg film. Not a lot of his films recently have felt like Spielberg films mm-hmm. and like in that Spielberg sense. And I think it's always been him going like, I'm just going to tell these stories and make a wide range of films because yeah, if you look at the last 20 years or 10 yeah. years or whatever, it's all over the place. I mean, the movies are all over the place. So this was the first time I sat down and I was like, oh, this is a Spielberg movie because mm. it had it had the lush camera movements. It had the innovative camera movements. It had the incredible lighting. And, you know, it, it's just something that, like that's purely him. I, I, I don't know if I don't know if he's if people will probably argue with me about his filmography, but like it, I don't know if he's like holding himself back, trying to do something different. But like this one felt like his vision. I felt like I was watching a Spielberg movie like it has his signature yeah. on the film. And that's something I've missed. I agree. Him. I definitely agree. And the thing that also helps this stand out is being where it's a bit of both, where it is undeniably Spielberg because of the technical things we're talking about. But something that I think has plagued Spielberg a little bit for the last 15 years is, at least in terms of the pedestrian stuff I try to call him out for, is he'll get a big star or two because, come on, who doesn't want to work for Spielberg? And right. he'll make just very safe casting for safe films. Like I, the, the spot I've always kind of shown off at or I've kind of like d- talked him down on is The Post from like three or four years ago where <sighs> that was that was, like it's a fine film. Don't get me wrong. Sorry. But like it's it's but it's such an easy film and that was him trying to like class himself down to like get you know stud a-list actors to work for scale and to make a movie that only costs 40 million dollars instead of 140 million dollars and i felt like that's him going oh look i can make small movies again and i'm like fuck you you made a 40 million dollar movie with expert actors you don't know how to struggle anymore my friend you are an expert making expert things even when you make them for 40 instead of 140 where i'm like don't cry poor the way Scorsese cries poor about, oh, where am I going to get my next millions of dollars to make my own little personal narrative film? Steven has the carte blanche where he can make anything he wants, big or small. He'll make it good, but he won't challenge himself. Now, I get it where the argument pushing back is the guy doesn't have to challenge himself anymore. The guy could retire today and be easily one of the top three directors of all time. No doubt about it. But Mm -hmm. you still feel like, gosh, when you're this talented, it's almost damned if you do damned if you don't to to always i guess perform so performs the wrong way but to create at that kind of level and this surprised the hell out of me because he brings his level to a different place and what impresses me when i to circle it all the way back to about casting here is outside of anson uh ansel elgort and a little bit of Corey stole there's not really a name person in this movie at all other than rita moreno, rita moreno. As, a, as an extended thing but that's more of an homage that you're gonna have that's you know, I don't want to say required element, but that's kind of perfect. And it's not like Rita Moreno makes four movies a year like Diane Keaton does or something. So it's the, the unknown cast aspect is really impressive. Where for me, this is his first like really unknown cast test of a movie since, gosh, I guess if you remove Hanks, it's Saving Private Ryan because those are all new and up and comers the diesel ed burns ed burns was an independent guy barry pepper wasn't known matt damon wasn't that big yet no but like tom sizemore made the poster of that movie as if he's a name you let look yet look at all the people who came out of that movie so yeah it's 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 a cool challenge for him to see this with unknown people 
Well, I want to, I want to reflect on that a little bit because um, there's one thing you can always tell. Uh, This is, I'm always coming up with weird examples, but (laughs) one reason why I loved Star Trek, the next generation when I was a kid is because when you read about the cast and you found out that it wasn't one of those fake, we're like a family. Like they actually were like a family. Like, they all love each other. They're all at everybody's weddings. They're all best friends. They're all hanging mm-hmm. out, especially the social media age. You can see they all still hang out 30 years later. Yeah. You can feel that on screen. You can feel the connection. And I have been enjoying, oh my God. Uh, first of all, Rachel Zegler, who makes her She's film fantastic. debut in this, yep. you know, as Maria, she's been posting on Instagram. She has these pictures with her and Spielberg and she is just, they the two of them together like he looks like he's found like a creative muse with her and she is just in awe of him like she is so thankful to him Mm -hmm. and and to me it's kind of like you feel that in the movie because she has given it her all like she is like i want to impress this guy and it's like you said it's you know, it's easy to it's easy for uh, Spielberg to grab Hanks in every movie now, or yeah. you know, the biggest stars in the world, or like a professional singer. Like if this was Tony Award winning people filling this movie, or people we know can sing, like Emily Blunt. You know, just people who are, right. we just know from having musical talent. Or if you brought, I know it's a cheesy example, but like Ariana Grande, somebody who's a known right. musical talent. You brought unknowns. I didn't know Ariana exactly. Boys could do this, and she does like Schmigadoon. So like, you brought all these small cast people, and then once you do the homework on them, like Mike Faced, the lead Jet, he's oh, he was a, you know he's, he's, fan, he's he's easily the best male actor in this movie to me. And he yeah, and you look at his Broadway talents, and he's like a stud guy on Broadway who's never really taken a dip into films. And what a place mm-hmm. to make an impression, and he does. And and yeah, Rachel Zegler, who's going to get some Oscar talk for Best Actress and deservedly so. So yeah, I, I think so. Too. I was, I, I got to say, that was another thing I was skeptical about. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. maybe it's just, and and this is Ansel Elgort. I, I here, let me, I'll let talk me, about let me backtrack. you go first. I'll go Elgort second. You bet. Let me let me backtrack a little bit. So to me, when there's like an actor or actress I don't really like at face value, mm-hmm. and I like them from a movie, and that is a skill. Like, I think that's a directorial skill. Cause like, for instance, I'm not a huge Jared Leto guy, right? Yeah. But he's in my favorite film of all time, Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> yeah. And he's awesome in it. Um, one of my other favorite films of all time is the movie heat. I'm not a huge mm-hmm. Natalie Portman guy. I don't think Natalie Portman's great. Okay. Not that great. But she's awesome. She's awesome in that. And she's, you know what I mean? I'm like, when I'm looking at my favorite movies, all these actors I don't necessarily like are in my favorite movies. And I sure. think that is because a, a, an act, a director can get a performance out of them. Ansel Elgort is somebody I've seen. He has that face that's just very punchable. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I know that he has some troubles. I don't know what they are. So forgive me if I'm blowing uh, anything off. Sure. That's not, 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 not the case. But he just has like that look and feel that I don't like. So mm-hmm. the fact that I loved him in this movie was okay. a step in the right direction. And and with this girl, I was like, okay, you know, pretty face. Does mm-hmm. she have the talent? She knocked me off my socks. I knocked yeah. me out of my socks. Um and then and Ariana Du Bois, who plays oh, the old God. Rita Moreno part, she's just as powerful and good. Oh no, she's amazing. And she's uh, well, first of all, I, I think I posted this on Facebook. Mm-hmm. All all the women in this film, all the Puerto Rican women, they have a line in this movie where the Puerto Rican where <laughs> I think I think it's uh, Bernardo says Whenever the white girls see our girls, they they realize yeah. how bad they look or whatever. The women mm-hmm. in this movie, I hate to be like that guy, but the 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 Puerto Rican and Latina women in this movie are so gorgeous. And yep. tip my hat, I, I I would have them yell at me in Spanish all day. I would just <laughs> love it. Like I I was sitting there the whole time, and I was that was another reason why I had a smile on my face. I was just listening to them talk. Yeah, and just listening, to, and, and that was the other great thing is Spielberg didn't use subtitles. I love he that let them spe- he let them speak in Spanish. Yeah, let body language do the thing there. You know, it's so gorgeous, and I was just I was in awe of that too because I was like, oh, I can I, I can just feel the energy of this. Mm-hmm. Like it feels authentic. Uh, friend friend of the pod, Lauren, uh, told us that 
I guess there's some arguments on Twitter about how accurate the accents are. I don't care. It's yeah, I mean, fine. Me too. It's you great. Know. I I, yeah. I loved it. I thought it added to the romanticism of it. It mm-hmm. added to the realism of it. But anyway, that's my thing. But you have a thing on Elgort. You want to? Yeah. To? So Elgort Elgort is the is the weak link in this movie to me. He's the thing that keeps it from being a five star movie. Where mm. and it's I'm, I'll, I'll admit it's going to sound oddly kind of condemnatory, but he looks too tall and too old next to his ensemble mates, especially Zegler, who's like five one, you know, he just, he's, he lives up to that expression to stick out like a sore thumb and Spielberg kind of knows it where he has to use like steps and props and ledges and like awkward contortions of like him kind of like kneeling, but not really kneeling or like leaning down to her to try to kind of hide his six foot threeness. And it just doesn't work for me where I, I, and it just caught my eye. We're like, Oh my God. He's like, squatting down to this tiny little girl and he looks like just a you know a, a way too old giant kind of doing that thing that's our 15 minute time but i'll keep going but no he just um i i just he's not the strongest singer next to the other ones where it just he sticks like a sore he sticks out like a sore thumb versus kind of the natural aura of everyone else and mm-hmm. you kind of put that together where i just don't think the intensity is there like he's the guy that has to be kind of so passionate enough to either break up his old gang or obviously take Bernardo's life, you know, and, and to still have that kind of woo, you know, that, that game changing woo and courtship and and love where, you know, convincingly, and that's kind of a problematic thing of the play itself. We're like, Hey, I killed your brother, but let's, let's, let's bone right now. You know, like it's, that was very strange. I was like, what? But that's, That's not the movie's fault. That's the nature of the play in the book. It's based on like right. it's it's accurate to the source of material, even if it's kind of. Uh. But um, no, to me, he's a glaring weakness where his hmm. odd vibrato singing. He's too tall, and honestly, I will tip my. I'm not one. Of, I just don't give a shit what he's done on the other screen until he's convicted of some crime. He can be as guilty as can be in the court of public opinion if he comes out and he does his work and he makes a movie. And if somebody like Spielberg and the studios have vetted him enough to not fire him from this movie. Hey, go do your thing. I'm not I'm not going to be up in arms about, you know, his inclusion in a movie versus the court of public opinion. Sounds like he's done some shady stuff in the courting women who are under 18 department, which, of course, looks a little weird in this movie where this girl is clearly, you know, just barely 18. He's 26. And it's he's and he's of course, he's a giant at six foot three. It just looks a little too (laughs) close to the things that have gotten him in trouble on a stage where like, hey, could you give that to somebody else? But I know that names sell pictures. He just had Baby Driver. This movie's been delayed for a year. I don't doubt Spielberg. And, I, you know, he's obviously been vetted enough to be here. We're going to have the same problem yeah, he, he's in, the in a couple of months when, when uh, what's his name, Army Hammer's Army in the movie. Hammer. So it's going to get weird. And I just don't care if it's weird. He's awkward enough without all the bullshit off screen for me. Well, I mean, he's on the press tour right now. So it's not like he's... It's hiding yep, right, or any yep. of that stuff. I mean, so I, I don't know. I mean, I've seen some things on Twitter where people are like, I can't believe this piece of shit got the movie. And I'm I like, know. well, yeah. I, I mean, go watch the accus- movie first, you know? Yeah. It's, it's an accusation. I mean, we don't, it's not true yet. Yeah. If it is fine, I will. I just yep. like, Bottom I don't know. The we, ground, one time know? we have to have this conversation because I was recently showing my daughter, Ellie confidential. And I swear mm-hmm. to God, Kevin Ellie Spacey spaces, is right. so good in that movie. Yes. Yeah. So good. And it's like, it's like, yeah, do, will I support any future Kevin Spacey stuff? Probably not. But like, I, what am I going to deny that I liked his performance exactly. in a film? Yeah. So, so with I, this one, until something happens, I'm mm-hmm. like, I think he did great in the film. You didn't like him in the film. I did. So I, yeah. I don't know. What to think. No, my, my, my two second stump speech on this t- sort of thing. And it's come up in our shows before is I'm an innocent until proven guilty person. I know we're supposed to quote unquote, hashtag believe them and stuff like that. I can believe them and I can still pump my brakes to wait for due process, sure. proper convictions, true guilt. Uh, you know, and I know it's been a shady legal system where the people who are perpetuating these crimes or alleged alleged crimes can push people around and get things dismissed. And I, I get that things are shady, but in, that's fixing the system. That's not fixing actors and fixing things like that. I'm here for the movies. I don't give a shit about what they've done on screen. I don't cancel anybody. And that's just my, I feel like that is as equally consistent as it would be to cancel everybody for every goddamn accusation that comes over off the yeah, course. It, and I'm just not going to be that guy. Cause if we do that, we're going to run out of movies to watch because I hate well, to tell you folks, there's, there's 
there are less choir boys than you realize in this business. Well, and it all works itself out. Like, I mean, is anybody really upset that James Franco didn't show up in Spider-Man No Way Home? No. But, because... what, but what if he did? You you know there would be a cross-section of people who would be like, I'm not saying cancel Spider-Man, but they would get a little pissy. You know no, they no, that's, would. That's what, I'm, what I'm saying, though, is it all works itself out because that was one where there's the, the accusations are a little bit more truer in terms of what happened. Mm-hmm. And no one is like, oh, well, you can't have Spider-Man without James Franco. It's like, no, no, no. It'll work out. Like, guess what? Yeah. He is – Guess what? He's paying for his crimes. He's not in the mm-hmm. biggest film of the year this year. Like exactly. it, it'll all it'll all work itself out. I mean, and that's the thing. Unless, like, you're, unless you're Mel Gibson, then you get you get to come back after. Yeah. See, that's that's <laughs> a guy where that's that's the fickleness of the audience. Like, what there's a there's a what have you done for me lately thing that mm-hmm. I I don't keep I, I keep receipts so to speak. Where if I had I'm not going to cancel Mel Gibson because again I'm here for the movies, but I'm never going to let people forget that he's still a piece of shit you know he can and it just or the missing thing i guess is and you don't see enough of it or if you do it's so unexpected that we don't know what to do with it we never see a lot of contrition and that's the unfortunate thing like if kevin spacey were to come out with other than his weird youtube videos and just be like hey I made some shitty mistakes. I was younger. I need to repent for those things. You know what? I, behind closed doors with the people, with my accusers, and, and I, you know, or just you don't need full admission, but just understand your wrongs. I think a perfect the two examples I've seen that are treated completely differently of people who actually showed contrition were James Gunn with his tweets, where he's mm. like, "Hey, I was younger. I was dumber. It's been a long time. I'm a better person. Ask anybody." And then the other person is Louis C.K., who's like, "Yep." I, I whatever I think it was like jerking off in front of like job interviews and things like that. Like, yep, I do it and I like it. And I, I tell people ahead of time that I'm going to do it and they can leave if they want to. They can stay if they don't, if they, if they don't mind it. And they do, you know, where, and he kind of still does his own comedy thing. He, he, he's like, this is who I am weird as it is. And it's weird how we have kind of not had to cancel Louis CK anymore. We're like, Oh, well it, that's just him. All right. Mm-hmm. I think it's the, I think, and everyone wants their pound of flesh. So I I just wish people would either acknowledge, just, yeah, just be honest. Say you fucked up, it's, you know? It's not it's the hard a, thing to do. It's a weird thing, though, because there's always going to be that contingent of people that will demonize them forever. I mean, look at Michael yeah. Vick, for God's sake. I oh, mean, my goodness, yes. I, I know people. The okay, man Michael Vick, paid for his crimes. He, he literally paid for his crimes. And some people are just like, well, I hope he burns in hell and I'll never yeah. trust him. I'm like. He, he literally went to prison. Like, do you want him to go to prison for life for what he did? I mean, that's, yeah, that's, exactly. that's not how justice works. Or you know? the other thing is punishment for the crime. And this whole guilty in the court of public opinion, this cancel culture says never, ever again. Well, what's the transgression? What's the punishment for said transgression? And if person, very much Michael Vick style, gets through it, you're supposed to, a good person should welcome them back. And Michael Vick has done everything right to get back in just the right place of society where he's done all the, 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 the PR, not just the PR stuff. He's done all the charity work. He's done all the goodwill. He's done all the forgiveness. He, he went to prison and came out and still just be, showed himself to be a changed person. If Kevin Spacey or any of these people were going to were to show that today, I, I worry how many people would accept them. Now, some people are guilty of enough crimes where throw the book at him. Goodbye. Bill Cosby. Stuff like that. But we're getting off a tangent that keeps us off West Side Story. Yeah, let's talk about the wonderful film that is West Side Story. <laughs> yeah, so we're we're in Oscar season. Um, what would you put this movie out for for the Oscars? I think it will get Best Picture because of the expanded field. I agree. Um, um, and I'm happy for the expanded field for that case because I'm not a fan of the expanded field since it happened. Me too. Um, because I think it lessens. I mean, the, the academy is the academy's fucked up. We all know it, this. It is fake inclusion but, for the sake of inclusion. When well, We all know there's only like five movies that have a chance. I will say that despite the fact that there's always like a thousand movies you can say should have been Best Picture nominated, mm-hmm. there still is, up to 2008, kind of a – whether you think it's justified or not, there is kind of a, a, a cool like – aura around the five best picture nominees you know mm-hmm. like it either like shows you the five you know like well, that's a big deal yeah, and, and and it'll show you like what the trends were at the time or what the people were feeling what people thought was it was a innovative film versus what really was i mean that's part of the fun for me is also going like well this should have been in this year now you kind of get that because i mean frankly there's not 
they've never filled all 10, I don't think, nominations. I think no, they've always they've been short one or nine, two. Nine's as far as they ever got. Yeah. So, I mean, to be honest, like even by the academies, you know, which sometimes can be a little skewed, mm-hmm. there's not that many great best pitchers out there. So yeah. I always feel like there's always two or three that are kind of like, okay, you know, and, and this one I'm happy will be recognized. I think it will. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I, I can't. I mean, I I cannot see it not getting like cinematography, production design, costume yeah. design. I mean, it's got to get at least nominations for those. I agree. Um, and you know what? Um, the the Academy loves stories about Hollywood. It's they true. love they love throwback stuff. Um, they they love. I mean, they've loved musicals in the past. I mean, I know that it's not. I don't want to say it's a dead genre, mm-hmm. but. It is something where they're like, oh, if an innovative musical comes out, they're going to award it. Chicago. Yeah. I know you're not even, a fan, but it counts. Even though it only won Best Picture for about four minutes. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> but so, no, but yeah, it, they, they, when they see something like that, they tend to favor that. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually think it's got a really solid shot at winning, too. I, I don't think I it do will. Too. I think in a year like this where – just handicapping the field. We're going to do this on our show all season and, and have an Oscar show at the end. But if Power of the Dog is too slight or too small, if mm-hmm. Belfast is too chipper or too soft, and other things are just too weird, like licorice pizza is not exactly a groundbreaking piece of cinema, uh, mm-hmm. could a movie like this that is just solid craft, great big throwback, popular enough with old old farts and new farts, and it's <laughs> the Spielberg name. Yep. It, it does have. Cool. I think it does have a big chance to to have a a good contending chance for best picture. I don't and know I if know this is the place where, like, I don't know if this is the place where Spielberg is going to sweep up another best director win. This would be his third. That's asking a lot in the career of a guy that's already got two. But right, right. Those to art, but in art and technical, it's a super duper contender. Well, and I know this is weird because he's won Oscars before, but the Oscars are kind of all about, you know. Yeah. Uh, making up making up for stuff and I, I i i think like almost every single spielberg film he's released you know uh, at least in terms of these serious drama films mm-hmm. ha- have been nominated for best picture lately. True. i mean yeah war, war horse munich mm-hmm. bridge the of spies the post yeah. so they i mean are. it might it might be one of those things where they're like let's spielberg has just been it, it, it's almost like a meryl streep thing with him now it's mm-hmm. like if he puts out a movie they're going to nominate it for best picture so one yeah. of these days, kind of like uh, I've never seen The Iron Lady, but would you say that The Iron Lady is truly one of Meryl Streep's greatest performances? No, but it was like the best of that recent string and bunch where that's the play. Well, well, here's our part. The Academy never loves comedy. Her best was like The Devil Wears Prada. But no, no, of, sure, of but, that aughts and tens stream, but that's the spot. Well, that's, I, that's like we can say the same thing with that DiCaprio, like the Revenant's not the best thing he's done, but no, it's the spot no. to give him a career, like a mid career or this piece of your resume's award. Well, that's right. what I'm saying. It might be time for Spielberg for that. That's what I'm saying is because, like with Meryl Streep, it got to the point where it was almost like a Susan Lucci joke. It's like she won yeah. really early, and then she was nominated every year. They were like, "Let's just finally give her another one." And I think with yeah. Spielberg and the producing front, in terms of Best Picture, they're, they're, I think they're finally going to say, "Hey, look, we've nominated like twelve of his last movies mm-hmm. for Best Picture. Let's just give him one." And, you know, and, and <laughs> if I, I mean, I know Saving Private Ryan famously lost Best Picture, but mm-hmm. he, I, Spielberg won Best Director, and obviously he won Best Director five years earlier for uh, for Schindler's List in '93. So when you think about it, you're right. 1998 to now is tw- what 23 years. The man mm-hmm. is kind of due to just to bow one more time at the greatness that is Steven Spielberg, and to see him take on a new genre. And all, there's just a lot of things in its favor to kind of be the tallest, best, brightest thing in a place where they tend to pick a, a very completest winner for things. Do you yeah. think that um, this will be, <clears throat> so we, we talked about, you know, he's won best director mm-hmm. twice and he's yeah. been nominated a bunch of times um, oh, yeah. for best director. And obviously he's been nominated for best picture a lot. I mean, he won, I mean, he was a, a producer on, Schindler's List, right? So he won Best Picture for that. Yeah, he I he, got, he swept. He got the double that that, that year. Yeah. Okay, but I don't think he's ever won another one, right? Uh, Best Picture uh, director in Saving Private Ryan in '98. So I'm talking no, no, 23 no, no. Best, years since his Best, Best Picture. Picture. No, Best never. Picture. 
He should have. He should have a ninety eight. Let's be honest. I, th- I think it was. I think it was just Schindler's List. So like, it's just you Schindler's know, you, List. You've got like a bunch of guys like you know Ron Howard's one best pitcher, Clint Eastwood's mm-hmm. one best pitcher. Like, it would be. I think it would be like one of those old Hollywood things. But mm-hmm. let, let me ask you this question, and, okay. and, and I'm putting I'm putting you on the spot. But sure. what the hell? If you had to pick five directors from this year, yeah, like like. I think he deserves it just because of the craftsmanship, but I agree. Let's let's say that he doesn't get a nomination, but he does get best picture Ooh. nomination, which has happened a lot in the last twelve years for him or whatever. Yeah, who are like five better directors than him this year that did five I, better jobs? Ooh. I don't have five better. That's the thing. I don't have five better than him. I might yeah. have two. Who, um, who do you have? Who do you have? I Joe Cohen, Tragedy Macbeth is up there. Okay. Okay. Um, I, despite the craft that's in play, I don't put Denis Villeneuve up there. I don't put Jane Campion with the power of the dog. You know, I, I put her as a director in terms of making choices and, and, for, and honing something that it, of what the finished product is. I put her up there, but I put that, her in the field. I wouldn't put her better than Spielberg. I would yeah, put her in the field of the top five. She's in the her. argument of five. Um, I yeah. know it's not a popular movie, but in terms of, what it takes to make it. No one will ever agree with me, but Adam McKay, I wouldn't put him above mm. Spielberg, but he's in the field that he'll never get a chance, but uh, they like, they like him though. I mean, they, he's I mean, in, in the industry and in town. Yeah. 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 But, um, other than that, um, I don't put Aaron Sorkin up there. I think he's more mm. of a writer than a director. Yes. Um, okay. who I I'm str- uh, Kenneth Brannick. Kenneth Branagh. Oh, absolutely. Kenneth Branagh um, is probably the favorite at this point to win, I, I would assume. As directors, see, they give that to more – lately they've been giving that to technicians and auteurs more than you know a performance-based kind of director. And, let's, and Belfast is a soft, easy, light ensemble where Spielberg right. has a better case because he's not just doing you know a very, very good narrative. He's crafting all the stuff beyond that. So right. well, he's, I don't know. But that's another one where he'll probably end up getting a screenplay or something because – Brana is also due. I mean, he's got nominations up the wazoo everywhere. Yeah. I mean, he's he's been nominated for actor, best supporting actor, director, screenwriter, short film. He's well, ready. Put, so, let's put, <laughs> let, well, then the, here's the other thing: the Academy likes waiting sometimes too long for things. Is Kenneth Branagh in his fifties? Does he have time to get another bite of the apple? Versus, is this the last great thing we're going to see from a seventy-five-year-old Steven Spielberg? That might well, be the thing that pushes it closer to Spielberg than Brandon, because like oh, this might be the one great shining chance to re re reward one of the industry's all time greats, supporter right. of cinema, all the big things that Spielberg represents. Versus, you know what, Kenneth Branagh's gonna make he's gonna make five other movies before he's done that might he be could, really really yeah. good. He could. He does have that story that people like though, where it's a good story. You know, people say and a personal story. People well, love people, bad about Belfast. What, what, yeah. I mean, what I mean by his story is his career story because mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh did kind of go into the – people will say he slummed it a little bit after a yeah. while because yeah. he started doing like the, the – uh, Cinderella, Jack Ryan, Thor, Jack, Jack Ryan, yeah. Jack Ryan, like all that kind of stuff. I mean he did – Because he took his very expensive swings and misses with Shakespeare. No, exactly. So I think yeah. the fact that he's made a personal, small, mm-hmm. independent, lovable – you know, yeah. feel good movie is, and plus, and this one, I saw this on Twitter, made me laugh. There is that power of cinema part of, of uh, Belfast too, where mm-hmm. part, part of what unites the family is the joy of That's movies. That's true. In Hollywood. So. Well, look at, and like, like Del Toro winning for Shape of Water with that one like little dream sequence of theater and stage to make mm-hmm. it look very Hollywood, very the artist-ish, like that those things carry favor and La La Land being a very Hollywood eyes, a Hollywood centered LA centered story. Best of carries favor. If, if there's one more person, especially with an LA based, you know, majority here, another guy who's never won. And is he do is PT Anderson for licorice pizza, you know, and that's a very director's movie of turn, you know, yoking performances from the place of what you've got. So he's fairly beloved by the Academy, right? I mean, he's within reason. Yeah. but he's, but he's had, never won. But he's but he's um I'm trying to think of all his films. I'm very yeah. bad at his filmography. I think I've only seen one of his films. So I'm, I think I'm that's thinking, your next deep dive. I'm that's my next deep dive because I, I need yeah. to see There Will Be Blood. I need to see Phantom Thread, which we'll be talking about on the show yeah. in the future. Um but, I'm gonna see um, Pizza, but yeah. But like but if he's never won, 
but he's also very young. Like he's, a, I think he's still in his forties or early fifties, kind of like Branding, where right. he also will go on and he's prolific enough where he makes a movie every two years where he will right. be back and likely with something that probably will or could win. Like people are going to say he should have won for there will be blood instead of another Coen brothers win, which was no country for old men, which I don't like, which I don't like <laughs> either. And and that's why Joel Cohen's not going to win for tragedy Macbeth because the Coens have won enough times. And even if he's going solo without his brother, it's not enough to give him a win. So I feel like it's, this is Brannig, Anderson, Spielberg, Compion, just, I don't want to say tokenism to get a woman in there, but she is also a very worthy person to like come back after 12 years out of the industry to kind of make this powerful movie. It's got a great push from Netflix. She deserves to be there. And if she were to win, I wouldn't be sad about it because she's also a great filmmaker who's, I don't think ever won that top spot either. So it's going to be a hell of a year. Just to give you some perspective, we're talking about, you know, legacy with the Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. Uh, P.T. Anderson has eight nominations. Right. Um, And never won. uh, One, two, three, four, four for writing, Mm -hmm. uh, one, two for directing, and two for um, best picture. So he's, I mean, basically, just like Spielberg, everything he's put out basically in the last... 20 years has been nominated for best picture or right. close to, I mean, even um, inherent vice, which I, I heard was pretty um, dodgy, uh, you know, kind of sketchy in terms well, of the best of others. Yeah. You know, I've still got a screenplay nomination. Oh, yeah. So he, he's very well beloved. So I can, I can totally see that, but I, I think we could both agree that Spielberg is going to get at least a nomination, right? Yeah. I, 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 I have to, has to. And yeah, when it comes to bites to the apples, Spielberg is great enough that, you know, if he gets a lifetime achievement award two years from now, it's fine too. But the guy who we keep talking about likely has the least bites of Apple left despite his age is probably Brannig more than Anderson. Like Anderson, sure. you know, always turns out great stuff. Brannig, this is kind of his one shot. So, yeah, I, 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 our Oscar show will come in a couple of months, but I love how we're kind of planting seeds now. Absolutely. Well, um, we want to wrap this puppy up. You bet, sir. All right. So, Please, everybody, follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast. Also find us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes. If you enjoyed this show, we have more where that came from. Not only are we the interesting hosts, but, and Don can confirm this, I have made so many contacts. I mean, the guests mm-hmm. in 2022 are going to be insane. So we're really excited about that. So stay tuned. All available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at RuminationsRadioNetwork.com.